Hi, I'm LaDonna Humphrey. And I'm Alicia Lockhart. Welcome to Deep Dark Secrets, a podcast that shines a light in dark places. Before we really get rolling here today, we have to stop and say thank you, thank you, thank you to Janet D. She is our latest Patreon supporter, and we're just really thankful for you, Janet. We hope you are enjoying yourself in there, looking through all the Patreon content, all the deep, dark secrets. Okay, okay, okay. So this week, we're going to be shining a light on a couple, so not just one death fetish predator, but two, that live near the small town of Lebanon, Missouri. And their names are Ed and Marilyn Bagley. This sadistic duo lived in a seedy trailer on the outskirts of Lebanon, a town with a population of roughly 18,000 people. So it was a little bitty tiny town. And in December of 2002, the couple did the unthinkable. They invited a cognitively impaired 16-year-old that was running away from the foster care system into their home. And to protect that young woman, since she was a minor, When these crimes took place, we will not reveal her name. Because you see, Ed and Marilyn, they had sinister plans for this young woman from the moment they took her into their home. Ed and Marilyn went to great lengths to kind of woo and groom this young woman into their home. They really were selling her on this better life. They had some ideas to try to get her invested in the idea of having a lucrative career in the world of dancing and modeling. So pushing her towards the sex industry and making it seem like this exciting opportunity, this great idea that they had for her. And in addition to that, they were also promising her that they were going to provide for her, keep her fed, give her free shelter. So as you can imagine, a young teenage girl who's trying to escape the foster care situation that she didn't enjoy being in, you can just imagine she'd be very excited by the idea of living with these cool people who are going to help her have a glamorous lifestyle and also a free place to live and a safe place to live. Yeah, I think that it's a terrible combination of things. Them taking you know, advantage of a cognitively impaired teenager, first of all, is wrong. But then you combine that with her being in the foster care system and all that trauma she was experienced from being removed from her biological family, whatever trauma, you know, she endured while she was with them that landed her in foster care to then running away from that foster home. All of this was so much for that young girl, I think, to handle and to deal with and then to be promised all these wonderful things. I can see how it would have been really easy for her to fall into that trap. Oh, yeah. And I have a bit of lived personal experience in this realm, too, because I was pretty young when I left the home of my family. My mother and I did not get along. And so I ended up moving out when I was 17. And it's interesting, but when you're in that tender age, you know, like 14 to 19-ish, you meet adults who are willing to hang out with you. And For whatever reason, at that age, you just don't understand how creepy some of them really are. They'll have ideas or they'll talk to you about 
pornography or the adult industry. And as a teenager, you just think, wow, it's so cool that this person is treating me like a grown up, treating me like an equal. And you don't even realize until you're much older, wow, that that wasn't a quality adult. That person should not have been talking to me about those things or offering to help me in those ways. You probably know the type. There's just certain Adults who don't mind buying drugs and alcohol for teenagers or even including them in sex acts. There's just some creepy people that prey on children in that tender age category. And I really feel for the children in that age category that are experiencing that because I know firsthand you do not realize how creepy they are until you're much older and you think back about it. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think that when you're that age, you don't understand what grooming is. You don't even realize that you're being groomed. You're just loving the attention, whether or not you come from a broken home or, you know, in your situation, you've left home at an early age, or maybe you were forced out of your home by social services and put into foster care. I think that you just don't see that bigger picture because of your age and because you so desperately want that kind of attention. And I think this is a prime example. Everything I've read about this case just makes me incredibly angry because Ed and Marilyn went to great lengths to, I think you used the word woo, and that is true. They wooed her. They groomed her. They did what they had to do to get what they wanted. And she was trusting of them. She was like, okay, this is going to be the best thing for me. And so she went ahead and moved in with them into that trailer, and it really turned into this trailer of horrors. It's a terrible story because it wasn't long after she moved in with Ed that Ed started demanding that she call him Master Ed. So that was a really quick turn in almost three to four days of her being there. She was told, you have to call me Master Ed. Then she was forced to wear slave clothes which included chains and other things that were sexually revealing and sometimes degrading. And then she was drugged by Ed. He gave her marijuana and he drugged it with ecstasy. And he did that so he could repeatedly rape the young woman. And he did so in a very violent fashion. And she was traumatized and shocked. She would scream and cry during the sexual assault, and she reported this later to authorities. And Master Ed would say to her as she would scream and cry and ask why and all those things that were going through her head, he would say things like, this has to happen. You need to be trained to become a sex slave and on and on and on. And so when he completely broke her spirit after that horrific repeated sexual assault, he then forced her to sign this lifetime sex slave contract. And so, of course, she signed it. He forced her. And she later told authorities she believed that she had to abide by that contract. I mean, she believed that her signature on that contract meant there was nothing that she could do, that it was a legally binding contract. This reminds me so much of that Cannibal Cafe human meat application that we found. I bet it was something like that where... She signed over her rights and became his property. And then at her age and being also mentally challenged, she may have thought that 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 was that. It was a legal contract. There was nothing she could do about it. She also could have thought that 
this was a normal part of being trained for the job of exotic model or exotic dancer. So that's really sad. It's very sad. And I think it's important that we establish this because this is one of the reasons she stayed outside of the fear and being cognitively impaired and all the other trauma and things that were happening to her. She signed a contract that she believed made her life hopeless and she had to do what Master Ed was telling her to do. So I just, I want the listeners as they're readying themselves for the story to understand that this young woman believed that she had no choice. Also too, there's so much crossover when we talk about some of these cases between well, that's just a typical thing in the kink community or the BDSM community, or that's a typical master and slave thing. I understand that it's typical for a master and a slave to have a contract. It can be typical for them to lay out their boundaries and rules in their relationship so they both understand what they're supposed to be doing. But to take somebody of this mental capacity, of this age, who, as far as I can tell, didn't really express interest in a master and slave relationship. I see a clear difference here, and I hope that our listeners can see that, too. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. I think that's important. It's scary, too, because there are people who have healthy kink lives, have a healthy master-slave scenario, but this setup, it works really well for predators. So I think that people who are entering into a kink community or into some kind of relationship that has these elements need to be really careful about doing it with somebody that is very trustworthy because it's all too easy for a predator to say, hey, this lifestyle really grants me access to be able to get in there where I need to be with people to take advantage of them. Well, and I'm glad you said that. So before we keep going on the story, that's something that brings up an interesting point. I'm always doing research into death fetish and looking for things that we can talk about on our episodes. And one of the things that I discovered recently is that several of the online BDSM communities, they actually appoint a special moderator to help keep the weirdos and the dangerous people out of the forums if they can. And I found that very interesting because that is them recognizing that there is a level of people out there that are using these communities to find victims and to do horrible things to them outside of what the normal bounds of their community. So I think that's interesting because I think that Ed and Marilyn fall into that category. They would have been kicked off FetLife. Yes, they would have been kicked off FetLife for sure. That's good to hear about. I didn't realize that they were taking more precautions. When you said that, I thought, oh, well, that's why the death fetish predators have their own forums, because they can't be on those ones. They're not looking for a consensual experience. I tend to agree with you on that. So that's definitely a huge aside. Jumping back into that horrific trailer, Things really escalated from that point of the contract. What comes next is just, it's unthinkable to me. But for the next seven years, Master Ed and his wife, 
were performing horrific acts of abuse onto this poor girl's body. And it was just relentless. They were doing this all the time. They began beating and flogging her. They would electrocute her private parts. They would choke her until she was unconscious. And sometimes they would even sew up her genitals and pierce different parts of her body. They're just treating her like she is an object, like she's not even, I mean, it's just, I can't even, I'm like stuttering because it's so horrific to think of a mentally challenged minor in this situation. I hope that the listeners caught what you said. This was for the next seven years. I mean, that poor girl just endured some of the worst things that somebody can experience. And it went on for years. It just breaks my heart. That's such an amazing, exciting span of your life, too. When you go from being a teenager into a young adult, the things that most people get to do during those years are formative and amazing. And it just it hurts my heart that she was stuck in this nasty trailer being hurt like this all the time. And the more she resisted this abuse, the worse it got for her because she was supposed to be compliant. She had signed that contract. So eventually, Master Ed, he was escalating and he didn't know what to do with her when she was resisting. He wanted to make things worse on her. So he did threaten to bury her alive in the woods near the trailer. He started talking regularly with her about her death. And he was doing this to ensure that she would stay compliant. She's gotten older. She's resisting. He's got to do something to keep her under control. I'm horrified by this. I have a daughter. Well, I have five of them. And one of them is actually turning 16 actually today as we record this episode. So, of course, I'm thinking of her and comparing her to what this 16 year old endured at the hands of Master Ed. And I know how naive and trusting my 16-year-old is. And this breaks my heart to know that she lived under that kind of fear and under that kind of emotional and physical abuse. It's really awful. Yeah, he was going to great lengths to keep her where she was at. He was really enjoying being able to play out all of his sadistic fantasies on this poor girl. But she was resisting, so he had to really try some new intimidation tactics. And so in addition to threatening her life more frequently and being very detailed about how he would do that, where he would put her body, he also shot and killed her pets. He made her watch this. So he was just proving to her, look, I have the ability to murder. I will do it at the drop of a hat. You better basically heed this warning. I'm serious. I'm going to murder you if you step out of line. That is so sad. And even that, just it didn't fulfill his need to be cruel. He, we say this a lot, but he was just really escalating. He needed to find other things to do with her. It had been years and years he had been torturing her. So he did move forward with trying different techniques on her. He and his wife, they did switch to waterboarding her. That became a new part of their routine. And they also nailed parts of her body to slabs of wood. 
in my oh. head, I'm seeing like a crucifixion, basically, is what they were doing to her at the later stages of having her there. That is just awful. I can't even imagine the kind of pain that she was enduring. That's terrible. I just feel so uncomfortable thinking about this poor girl having to go through all of this. It just blows my mind that this is what somebody wants to see and do to another person. It's wrong. Well, and I'm glad that you said that because I think that we all need to be uncomfortable. I hope the listeners are uncomfortable right now. And the reason I say that is I want people to be uncomfortable because these kind of scenarios, this actually was happening to this young girl. But these scenarios are also being depicted as movies and in photos and in stories inside these online death fetish forums. And these are men that are gathering in these seedy internet communities that say these kind of things are okay. They enjoy it. They live for it. They love it. So we need to be uncomfortable because that is what's going to bring change. So I'm glad you said that, Alicia. And that really gets me riled up and on a soapbox. Yeah, this poor girl, she was trapped as trap could be. Master Ed had tattooed a barcode on her neck and another one on her ankle. And it was just clear that he was not going to let her go. She wasn't going to get free from him. He would have kept her for as long as he could. It's just one of those situations where it feels like a death fetish to me, even though if you asked Master Ed, he might say, oh, no, I'm just like a typical master-slave situation, or this is just a typical BDSM connection. I just, I don't think it is. I think that he definitely had the desire to go further than that. I agree. I don't think we've ever seen a case quite like this with someone this age that endured this much over that long of time. Not only were they treating this young woman in such a horrible fashion, they were also recording these long sessions of rape and torture with this victim. And they were recording these sessions for other fetishers on the internet. Of course they were. And they would advertise these videos and these live webcam sessions as horrifically violent torture sessions. And it got people really excited, believe it or not. And these monsters on the internet that are willing to pay big money for the thrill of seeing a young woman tortured, raped, and even murdered are the monsters that we're trying to stop. They're the monsters that we're trying to say, not one more girl. This is a situation where you've got a real life person who's being held captive by two violent death fetishers and they're recording her rapes and her abuse. Those are movies that they're distributing, still photos that they would distribute, live webcam sessions. That is real. That is real. And those are the things that we have been saying all along are really happening within the community. I have to tell you that when I look at PKF or John Marshall Washburn's videos, his death fetish videos, his simulated snuff videos. This is what's going through my mind. Every time I see a model that's been in hundreds of films, I'm looking at that model and I'm wondering, is she chained up in his basement somewhere? Is she doing this willingly? I agree with you. And I think that's what is so disturbing about this because many of those films, I believe, are situations like this. And I think 
that it's pretty clear that Master Ed and his wife were violent death fetishers. I agree. It's all too easy to imagine when you watch a death fetish video where you see a repeat model over and over again. And the producers are like, see, look, she's still alive. I didn't kill her. But it very well could be a human trafficking situation or a kidnapping situation, abduction situation that's hidden in plain sight. We're watching it and we don't even realize. Well, I think that's exactly what was happening here. So that's what's so important to me about sharing this case is because here is one of those examples. I really think it's happening a lot more than we even realize. The fetishers treat us like we're cuckoo bananas for suggesting this, but I don't think it's far-fetched at all. It's not. I think that this is a prime example. The thing that makes me sick about this is that all of these things were happening, and then Ed and Marilyn are also then making tons of money off this young girl that they're calling her their young sex slave. And they realized that they could make even more money if they made their torture and rape sessions even more violent and more frequent. So before, when she was enduring this maybe one or two times a week, they decided to up that to several times a day. They did it in order to make more money. And the more of this content that they would crank out for the death fetish community, the more people that started talking about them and watching and getting excited. And as you might expect, they ended up gaining the attention of several death fetisher men who absolutely loved to watch Master Ed and Marilyn's special brand of rape and torture episodes online. They became huge Master Ed fans and they were collecting photos of the young girl and trading them like trading cards. That is so disgusting. It makes me so incredibly angry to think that there are men out there glorifying these horrific things. Like for them, it's entertainment and it's sexually arousing. But for this young girl, this is her life. This is a, a terrible, traumatic experience that she's having now multiple times a day. And Master Ed and his wife are profiting off of it. And these sick death fetish predators are just watching from afar and are so excited about it. And one of those people was a man named Bradley Cook. He was a sadist living in St. Louis, Missouri. So not too far from them. And he just could not get enough of these videos. And he watched all of the live torture sessions. He downloaded all the photos and videos. And he even was trying to get to know Master Ed and sharing his own photos and videos of some of his own sex slave activity that he'd been participating in there in St. Louis. He's like, ooh, I like your style. I love these videos. They were inspiring him, I believe, when people like this start sharing this content. They're normalizing it for each other, and it's just going to escalate from there. But Bradley wasn't the only person who was in that boat. There was another fetisher who was taking interest in Master Ed's videos. His name was Michael Stokes, and he's a 60-year-old sadist. He was actually from California. So quite a ways away, he drove across the U.S. to come see Ed and Marilyn's torture chamber. He just had to see it in person for himself. He was like that 
into the videos, very excited by them. That's really awful that he would actually drive to see that, that he was that excited by it. Yeah, so he takes this road trip to come see this happening in person. And he winds up paying Ed and Marilyn $1,300. He says, I want the opportunity to be hands-on with this victim. I want to be in the video. Can I please pay to do that? That makes me wonder how often that really goes on in these death fetish forums that we've been in. You know this can't be unique. Yeah, it's probably happening way, way more than we even suspect. Once... Michael Stokes pays Ed and Marilyn the money, and they're sure that he's, you know, paid up in full. They actually allowed him to transport the young woman back to his place in California. Ed went with him, and they took her all the way to California to Michael's home. And they ended up making a film with her, and they sexually assaulted her and beat her there in California. It's unthinkable to me that kind of a road trip together with her knowing what they were going to do there. And like the thought of Ed going along like he's got to protect his assets or something. It makes me so mad. Well, she must have been so frightened because at any Given time, she could be murdered, and she had to have known that. At what point are they going to take the abuse so far that it's going to kill me? I'm sure that that went through her mind. Right, and not that she liked Ed and his wife, but I'm sure she was at least familiar with them. So being taken across the country with somebody else, I'm sure that she wondered, is this it for me? Am I going to die this time? Yeah, and I just can only imagine what it's like to be forced to have sexual relations with this nasty, sweaty, additional death fetisher. I'm sure this was not who she would have chosen to have sexual relations with. I hate this for her. And sadly, it just didn't get any better. Once she returned from California, Master Ed continued his reign of terror in her life. He continued to sexually assault her, beat her do all those horrible things, record her. But then he added a new twist to the hell. He then forced the girl who was now 21 at the time to work as an exotic dancer and a stripper in different adult entertainment clubs that were near their home in Missouri. And that was what he told her she would do to bring in additional money outside of the money she was bringing into Ed and Marilyn through the videos and the online webcamming. And they told her, If you don't earn top dollar for each of your performances, you will pay. She, of course, was terrified by that and did what they asked her to do. But when she didn't make top dollar and would have to come home and tell that to Ed and Marilyn, they would just find new ways to humiliate, rape, and beat her. I mean, it was just a really, really awful situation. And She felt completely hopeless, and her life just continued to get worse and worse and worse. And that living hell continued for her until February of 2009. And that's when she was rushed to the hospital with a medical emergency. During a regular session of rape, sodomy, and horrific beatings, Master Ed used an electrical device to electrocute her private parts, and this excessive electrical shock led to her cardiac arrest. Her body couldn't take it anymore. She had endured so much for almost seven years, and it led to her heart stopping. 
they had her rushed to the emergency room and she was revived. And it was there that she found the courage to share her story with the hospital staff. And that horrified staff, as you can imagine, they immediately called authorities and the local authorities brought in the FBI. I'm so glad that she felt comfortable to speak at the hospital, too. I'm getting flashbacks to the Elaine O'Hara episode that we did because Elaine O'Hara had some mental health issues and she was developmentally stunted, I guess you would say. Like she was in her 30s, but really kind of operating in a teenage mindset. And that was the same situation with Elaine O'Hara. She didn't really talk to anybody about what was happening to her until she was at the hospital and was telling the staff. So I'm so glad that she felt comfortable to share her truth with these hospital staff. This is a turning point for her. The FBI gets pulled in and there's an investigation. They start investigating Ed and Marilyn and the trashy trailer of terror. And eventually this leads to a federal grand jury indicting the couple on charges of commercial sex trafficking forced labor trafficking, and aggravated sexual abuse. Thank God. Thank God is right. I want to cheer the FBI and the grand jury for doing the right thing. Master Ed and his wife at this point, with those charges, they're facing 15 years in prison without parole for the commercial sex trafficking charge and life in prison with a chance of parole for the forced labor trafficking and sexual abuse. But it actually doesn't stop there because authorities also decided to go after the death fetish consumers that participated in the torture sessions, which just tickles me to death that they went after them too. Get them. I mean, I'm over here cheering. You and I talk about this all the time, about how we also think that consumers should be responsible and face charges. And so this is exciting to me that it happened in this case. To me, this is a step in the right direction because I think if you are going further and you're not just punishing the distributor or the producer, but you're putting that responsibility back on the viewer and the fans and saying you could be charged for watching this or participating in it or getting involved in any way, I think there should be a healthy fear of that. And I think that if the viewers or the fans could be charged as well, I think we would see a lot of these companies and websites shutting down. I agree. And I also want to add here as an aside, this case absolutely negates every argument the fetishers have that says, oh, it's just fantasy. We would never act. This case is something that I will always cite when I see mention of it in tweets or in the forums or anywhere else. I think this is the case that we can argue. I know there's a huge portion of them that would love to be a part of it if it was convenient or if they had the money. Some of them are losers who are sitting in their mom's basement and they couldn't afford that kind of a travel, but you bet your butt that they would if they had the means to. I think a lot of them really would. I think for sure. Michael and Bradley, they did get indicted by the grand jury several months later for their active roles in that criminal sex slavery trafficking conspiracy. And believe it or not, during the investigation, the FBI uncovered two other men 
that had participated in the torture and rape of Master Ed's sex slave. And these men were named Dennis Henry and James Knoll. So they were also indicted for participating in some of these torture sessions. And I bet you there's even more than that. I can't imagine that only four men got involved. Yeah, I tend to agree with you, too. I think that's just the only men that they were able to find. Maybe there wasn't a paper trail. There could be a lot of reasons behind it. But this just goes to show that there were at least four violent fetishers that were willing to act because of the content that they saw. I think that's important. I'm going to continue to hammer that home with this case because this pretty much breaks the arguments that we see online. Yeah, I think that in the very least, these death fetish guys mainly need to be able to say, okay, well, I'm confident that I have myself under control right now, but what about all these other people? Can I really vouch for them? It doesn't look like you should. That's a really good point. Going back to these fetishers that we were speaking of that got involved in the torture films in early 2012, Stokes, Cook, and Henry all pled guilty to the federal sex trafficking charges. And later that year, Marilyn Bagley, she pled guilty to one count of conspiracy to commit commercial sex trafficking. In exchange for her plea, the judge did sentence Marilyn to a probated sentence. And with Master Ed, he went on to plead guilty in January of 2013 to one count of using an interstate facility to entice a minor into illegal sexual conduct. I just hate that. I just wish that they would have been charged and pled guilty to more things than just that. It just, that seemed like a travesty of justice to me, but at least they got him for something, I guess. Yeah, there was some sentencing and that makes me hopeful to see things headed in that direction. On September 10th, 2013, a federal judge sentenced Master Ed to 20 years and gave him no chance of parole. Bradley Cook received 20 years. The other three men each received five years in prison. Well, I guess it's better than nothing. At least there was prison time for what they did. Right. There's 20 years and five years for the other guys for them to think about what they've done. But those other men that participated in the videos but didn't orchestrate them, that's kind of scary to think in five years. They're poof back on the internet looking for the same thing because I just don't believe that you're going to stop having a death fetish. I don't think it goes away. Well, it makes me wonder if we've run across any of them to this day in the forums because they would be out by now. And you know that they're continuing on this journey of death fetish. There's just no way that they aren't. I'd like to hear from them if they're listening or they hear that we've done an episode. Maybe, you know, maybe we're wrong and one of them has reformed their life or they took that five years and realized, whoa, I'm going down a really dark path. I would love to hear from any of them if they had a change of heart while in prison. That would definitely be interesting. And I think this case gives me hope that the death fetish producers and consumers will continue to be held accountable for participating in such horrific crimes. I think that's important. And I'm really glad that Master Ed and his motley crew of fetishers, they got what they deserved. They got prison time. I think they deserved more of it, but 
that is what it is. At least they were sentenced to some prison time. It just blows my mind that that young woman had to endure what she did for so long. I think about her and I hope that she's okay. I'm sure that it's going to take her years to to come back from that. It's just a horrific case, but I think that this is probably a good stopping point. This will wrap up our episode for today of Master Ed and the trashy trailer of terror. And I hope that our listeners are as enraged as we are now about the death fetish industry. And if they are after hearing this, I hope that they commit to doing something about it. And there is something they can do. They can visit our website at deepdarksecretspodcast.com. They can go to the menu bar. They can click on the advocacy button. And then once they get to that page, they just scroll down mid-page until they see the section that says sign this petition. Once they sign the petition and they can even click a button that will make it anonymous from the public view. Nobody else except Alicia and I and legislators could see your name. If they would just sign that, that is the same thing as standing with us and linking arms and saying not one more girl, not one more death fetisher is going to be allowed to do this. Every signature makes a difference. I cannot stress that enough. Please, if you are enraged, join us, help us, help us move this petition forward so we can do everything in our power to put teeth into the federal obscenity laws so we can put a stop to people like Master Ed and his motley crew of trashy fetishers. Yeah, we really can't do it without you. So take the time to sign that for us. And then when we have a sizable amount of signatures, you can bet that we're going to do something about that, that we're going to do something with those signatures and network with lawmakers to figure out how to make a lasting change here in the federal obscenity laws. So thank you so much for doing that, if you will. And thank you for tuning in today. We do hope you'll continue to join us every Monday as we continue to expose the death fetish community. Their internet community does translate into real world crimes. Please think about that. And until then, stay safe wherever you are and remember to keep your lights on. For exclusive content from this episode and all other episodes, head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com backslash deep dark secrets. Sign up and you'll be able to see some visuals that accompany each episode.